You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Cheryl Lynn Mobley. She is founder and CEO of Recalibrate. We're going to talk to her about that work that she does with leaders, helping them grow, helping them scale their business, scale themselves. I always find uh, it fascinating to talk with other folks who are in kind of the coaching advising space, working with leaders. It's just fascinating, all the kind of different approaches, perspectives, angles that people take. And Cheryl Lynn's is very interesting because of her background as being a leader inside, in this case, a hospital, but a service-based company, and really you know, having firsthand experience of what is it like to be in that driver's seat. I'm always excited to folks who have been both you know, leaders and then coaches, advisors. I think it's a very different perspective been in there and, and you know what it's like, you know what the pressure is like, you know what the situations are like, and then can help other folks deal with those same situations. So with that, Cheryl, welcome to the program. Thank you. It is fabulous to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. So before we kind of dig into the work that you're doing today, let's understand your background. Give us a little sense of professionally your career and how it kind of led to the work that you're doing today. Right. So I would love to say I had this planned trajectory. I didn't. Right? <laughs> and so I know some people that have it. I'm like, wow, that must have been really cool because that was just not my journey. So I started out doing work with victims of violent crime, actually, it was my first job out of high school hmm. or college, sorry. And uh, so that was really intense, intense work. And yeah. then ended up kind of over time doing some kind of training and development work. And I was like, okay, now what? And I said, well, I could try accounting. And I'm like, "Mm." after I made it through the really (laughs) hard accounting courses, I'm like, I don't really care how you account for the used car that's been sitting on the lot for two months. I I don't care. I'm really indifferent to this. So maybe this is not a good idea. And so I ended up in healthcare, which was something most of the women on my, in my family had done healthcare. And I was like, no, 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 not me. Don't want to do it. So of course, where do I end up? I end up in healthcare. It's funny how that works, isn't it? And so I end up doing quality and risk management and then in one organization and then leaving that one, going to another one where I ultimately was asked to serve as hospital president, which was likewise something I was like, no, 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 don't ask me. I was in a hypo program, so a high potential program. And my yeah. mentor's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't want to be president. Don't ask me. So what happens about a year later, he calls me. I'm like, you're going to do it. You Good are news. just going to ask me, aren't you? You are just going to ask me. And he's like, I know, I know you don't want to do it, but please, if you just do it for a couple of years. I'm like, oh, okay. So I had just, you know, I grew up with a dad who did, he was a VP of sales and marketing. And I just would see kind of secondhand the pressure to make numbers, right? And the the decisions when they didn't make numbers and how hard that was. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that. So of course, what do I end up doing? I end up running a hospital. Now, obviously you don't run anything in a vacuum. You know, you can say, I can say I was president, but anybody, unless they're delusional, realizes it's a fabulous team that does 99 and 9 tenths percent of the work. Yeah. 
And so we just had an amazing organization. And for me, the gift was I had, like probably every listener here, had some really hard experiences prior to that, where it was like, no, why do I have to get up and go in there today? I haven't yeah. been that evil. I shouldn't have to do this, right? You know, the yeah. really bad, suck the life out of you experience. The only good thing about that is that you learn how bad it can be. Yeah. You learn what you don't ever want to do if you're in a, a similar position. And when you do have it good, you are so appreciative. <laughs> you're just mm -hmm. like, wow, this is amazing compared to what I had before. And so ultimately, our hospital, because we had so many fabulous people, ended up hitting 99th percentile performance consistently. And we were yep. doing a lot of that before I became president. So it wasn't like Cheryl came and, you know, the harps and the uh, everything just kind of came on. It was, a, it was a great place before. But those of us there did make it even more solid, right? By focusing on what are the things we need to do? Because for me personally, and this to me is a huge leader responsibility, is what are you shooting for? You know, are you shooting for something amazing that's like everybody wants to be you and learn from you? Or are you just shooting to sort of get it done? Yeah. And we were clearly, you know, my comment to my folks is we need to be absolutely the best place to give and receive care, period. And anything that isn't supportive, that doesn't get to stay here. Yeah. And because we did that, we would have people say, oh, well, y'all make it look easy, you know, or it's easy for you. And I'm like, um, it's the result of a lot of constant choices mm -hmm. <laughs> that yeah. we, quote, unquote, make it look easy. This doesn't just happen. Yeah. And so ultimately, I ended up having people start coming to me and saying, can you help? Because I see yeah. what you do. You make it look easy. You look like you're having a good time. Well, running a hospital is not sweetness and light, I would imagine. So how do you do that? Help me. And so I actually started my company Recalibrate while I was still serving as president. Mm -hmm. And it took off to the point that I had to make a decision. I'm like, I either need to shut the company down for now until I'm done serving as president, or I need to step away from the president. And it was tough because if you've ever mm -hmm. had the gift of having a fabulous team doing amazing work, you know that that's not that common. Mm -hmm. And so to walk away from it is not like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll just go get, you know, I'll go get the tuna sandwich instead of a chicken. <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. not, a, a, not a light decision. But the things that pushed me over the edge were actually two of my folks. And they had gone to events outside of our hospital, right? So training events with other people in healthcare. And they had both been in our hospital for what? Each of them, like 16, 18 years. Yeah. So not people who had, you know, just kind of joined us. And yeah. they both said in very different ways. One said, the stuff that's happening out there yeah. would never happen here. <laughs> They're like, it's amazing what I heard people talking about going on in their workplace. Yeah. And the other person came back at very similar. And she goes, I like her bubble. It's not good out there. You know, both of these people <laughs> drove an hour one way, assuming not hideous traffic to come to work. And they passed other places where they could work. Right. So yeah. it was their experiences. And I'm like, that was that was my personal tipping point where I'm like, oh, I have to go yeah. because we've got this. You know, you can pull me out, it's going to keep going. But other places don't. Yeah. <laughs> and there are other leaders that want it. So I felt honestly obligated to go share what we had nailed with other leaders who wanted to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really my push out the door. And I was like, I wasn't expecting it. If you'd asked me how I was going to make my decision, I would not have said that was going to be how it came about. But that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you know, so that's that's how I ended up doing what I am doing now because there are experiences any of us. It's not for us, you know. It, it's for what we learn, how we can make things better for others. It needs to go out from you, and so from this, it's like I was gifted with this experience, and I need to share it. Yeah, 
I'm curious, what did you do in the hospital uh, as, uh, you know, as leadership, as management that was, you know, unique and different or, or were that drove the results that you were able to achieve that then allowed you or that you were able to kind of take from that experience and, and start working with other, other organizations. But what were the specific things and then how did you abstract them to, to be things that you could teach other people? Oh, that is a killer question. So when I left the hospital setting, I was like, okay, I need just to your point, I need to be able to pull this out for people. And I need to be able to be really clear and specific about what did we do differently. And so really what I did, and this is hard for people like me, some people, this would probably be a piece of cake, but it was a lot of work to really sit down and go, okay, because I was part of a large hospital system or healthcare system, you know, it was transitioning at the time when I started there, it was all hospitals. And then it started branching out into more healthcare system. And so we were one of 15-ish hospitals, so not a small organization by any means. And I had, as a president, you have interaction, obviously, with the other presidents, and you have an interaction at corporate level as well, because when you're at that level, you have responsibilities beyond your own organization. And I sat down and I go, what did we do that was so different? Because we obviously did something different, because we consistently got different results. And so input, output, what did we do? And I sat down and go, okay, what, in thinking back to a lot of the conversations I had with other leaders, seeing how things went with them, seeing what they talked about, you know, all those sorts of things. I created a framework that I call the B99 Guiding Questions Framework because I'm one of these hateful people that thinks in questions. <laughs> so everything, I just, I do questions. People either love me or hate me. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the two. It's not a whole lot of middle ground for that. And I condensed it down to seven drivers that in my experience, if you nail these, if you rock these, you are setting your organization up in the best possible way to become a 99th percentile organization in your field, whatever that looks like. So I don't work with just healthcare. I mean, healthcare, it's Mm -hmm. prescribed for you what that means. But in most organizations, it's not. So it's like, how are you determining what your 99th percentile being the top in your industry, being healthy, being high performing, what that means? And sometimes when I come in with clients, that's the first work we have to do. But the, the framework is, it's kind of an eye exam in some ways because there's a lot to it. Because I always laugh. People go, well, what's the one thing I need to do? And I'm like, you live in a really happy place. If there were just one thing, any of us could do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's it's that constant interplay of these different things. So I'll do a really, really high-level run-through. But anybody listening is more than welcome to go to my website and find out more. Um, so this certainly won't be exhaustive, but the the first driver where I always start with myself and, and with any client is with clarity. And the, the way the, the framework is created in a leader for each driver. But then there's also a question for the individual contributor. And then there's a question for the teams that you pull together, whether they're ad hoc or fixed. And then there's a question for the overall organization under each of these drivers to answer. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, in the clarity driver, I'll just read the leader question. It is, what do I want to be true in our future? And it's not designed to be, a, oh, yeah, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> you know, it's designed <laughs> to really go, whoa, what do I want to yeah. be? You know, the next one is calendar. Because all too often I say to people, if I were to look over your shoulder at your calendar and then observe what you do, would I see alignment number one and would I see a calendar designed to achieve what you said you wanted to be true? For most of us, that's not always the case. We end up getting distracted, pulled into other things, doing other things that feel better, you know, whatever it might be. The next one's communications. 
And with this one, I think about this pretty differently than most people. Most people think communication, think, well, do I send out the emails? Is the tone right? Is it this? And the, do I, you know, I remind people enough? Do I talk? Do I do da 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 da? Right? They think of the, the platform and the way. For me, this is a question of are you trustworthy, transparent, and clear? Because if you, I have had leaders that I have worked for, managers that I've worked for, who the more they spoke, the worse it got. <laughs> right? Yes. Because I didn't trust them. And so the more they talked, the more I was like, mm, yeah, no, no, mm mm. <laughs> right? So communication to me, it's not just, hey, get the words out. It's if people can't trust you, it's like the more you say, the worse it gets. Yeah. And so then for control, this one has been an amazing one. When I talk to people who work for someone else, this one gets probably the most visceral response. And the question for the leader is, you know, do your people have the authority and responsibility they need to be effective? Mm. And too often there's a mismatch. We've told people to do something, but we've not given them the ability to execute. Or we've given them the ability in private and nobody else knows they've got the ability to execute, in which case we've, we've tied their hands. So this yeah. one is a huge one for everybody to really think about. With what I've tasked our people to do, have I given them the tools and the authority they need to really get it done? Or am I tying their hands and saying, run <laughs> at the same time? Yeah. The next one is challenge. And this one is a huge one as well. And because for me, I see too many organizations not shooting high enough. Their expectations are too low. And this for me was a really huge one because when I first started in healthcare, I was new to healthcare. And so I didn't have any kind of preconceived notions about it other than what any of us have who've been a user. And I started out doing quality. Well, quality in healthcare is you have standards of performance that you're expected to meet and outcomes you're expected to deliver for your patients. And how do you do against those? So you measure these things. And the first thing you obviously need to do is figure out what it is you want people to do. And then you need to let them know what that is. So the education piece, and then you need to track it and see how it goes. And if things are getting in the way of your, what should have been a flawless design, then you go back and you play with the design till it actually works, right? It works for the people who have to execute on it and it works to get the results you want. And when I came in, the organization as a whole, not just my hospital, but the whole organization was struggling with a couple things they were trying to get nursing staff across the entire system to do. So thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. And it wasn't going as well as they wanted. And they were, well, we just need to educate. And I'm like, well, just forgive my ignorance again. Here we go with the questions, right? Here it go. It's like, well, how long have people known what it was? I mean, when did y'all explain what you wanted people to do? Oh, well, it was like two years ago. I said, okay. And how many ways have you explained it? And are you comfortable that people actually know what to do? Yeah, exactly. I said, confident. Okay. So I'm thinking education at this point is not needed. <laughs> yeah, not the problem anyway. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's not to say that we don't need to be having conversations to find out why they're not doing it, because certainly we do. But we need to move forward and then say, okay, this is kind of an expectation. We need to do this. And people are like, well, I think we should set a goal to be 70% compliant. And I'm like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> um, why? I don't personally think anything less than 100% compliance is okay. Yeah. And as well, you'll make people feel bad because they won't hit it and they're not perfect and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, excuse no, no, no. I said, we don't shoot for mediocrity. We just don't. We shoot for the 100 I'm not saying we will make 100% every time, but I can flat out guarantee you we will never even get in a rear view glimpse of it if we shoot for 70. Yeah. And so that for me was a huge one that I see a lot of organizations just not really going, what would blow people's doors off? What would be amazing? That's what we should deliver. And so that's what the challenge one is all about. And to me, you get there as a leader by being constantly curious. 
you know, well, how could this be better? And that doesn't mean you're somebody who makes people psycho because I can be guilty of that by always wanting things to be better and different. <laughs> so you have to understand there's a line where which you are moving people forward or you're giving them a psychotic break. Right? Uh, yeah, exactly. You know? So there is certainly that line. My next one is about community. And again, this one I think of, you know, pretty differently because again, it starts with a leader. And the question I ask is, are you operating at the top of your game? To do that requires that you take really good care of you. Your okay. physical self, your yeah. mental self, your spiritual self. Because we've all had days, I mean, I would have days where I'm like, you know, I probably shouldn't do anything other than file today. Because <laughs> I'm just not all there right now. And we yeah. all have those days. But you have a lot of those days if you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. And if you've got something, if you're really clear about what you want to be different, if you know what it is that it's just an amazing thing you want to deliver on, but you're not taking care of yourself, you're done. Because you're never going to be able to get to what you want to get to. You're just not going to be able to. And then competitive edge, of course, is, you know, what's our stake in the ground? How are we different than everybody else that may be doing the same service? Because clearly there needs to be something different about it. Otherwise, we'll, you know, we'll default to the lowest common denominator, which is cost. So those are the, the drivers, and they're all held together with congruence. Because you certainly can't have great clarity, but not be trustworthy and expect great things. Yeah. You know, you, you can't have your calendar organized around something that doesn't get you anymore. So they yeah. all have to hang together, which is why I always laugh. What's the one thing? And I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, there is one. Sorry. <laughs> the one know. thing is the seven of them put together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and it's that constant interplay. When I talk with my clients, I'm like, we will start huh? with clarity. How long we spend there depends on where y'all are. Yeah. Right? I mean, we, it's not a matter of, okay, we, it's a one and done. And if the, the changes we've all lived through in the last year could were needed to convince anyone that things yeah. are not one and done, exactly. <laughs> you, you don't get to, I had clarity in 2018 yeah. and it was awesome. <laughs> I miss it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, where did it go? <laughs> so you know, so no. that's, that's the, when I work with people, but what is actually on the website is the whole framework. Now, obviously there's a whole lot more to it and there's a document people can download that'll give them more information but the, the actual questions and the overarching framework is there for anybody to use um, as right. i said this it's not about me now certainly when i'm working with people there's a whole lot more we go into mm-hmm. um, just like when you work with people right you know i left your comment in the beginning about how different people come to things differently because not everybody in the world would want to work with you or me or anybody else and that's perfect because we wouldn't be available, number one. Yeah. But there's there's always that different kind of alignment that you want to seek with somebody that you choose to kind of come alongside. But that's a long answer to your to your short question. But what I really did was just reverse engineer and go, what did we do differently yeah. that allowed us to get the results? There's one thing that I will add that you know I didn't cover in there. When you do have incredibly high standards, the way we would put them out there is we would say, here's where we need to end up. Here are your constraints. Here's what you were free to do. Here's what I need to kind of hear from you. Go do it because you're the one that lives it. You have the best yeah. idea. And then the more we would push, the more we would praise. And when you have really high standards, you're pushing. Right? <laughs> you know, to be technically correct, you're expecting them to push themselves. Yeah. And it's but that praise has to match that. You know, I mean, it can't be you're really, really demanding, and then you don't ever praise and reward people or yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's something that has to, to kind of be in there as well to make mm-hmm. to keep people energized and, and forward thinking and make it be fun because it is yeah. hard what we're asking people to do we're asking them to change things and make it stick and it's we all know inertia is a wonderful thing like clarity in 2018 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
I'm curious, as, as you've worked with leaders in different industries, has there been any patterns of, you know, one or more of these sort of seven areas that typically is a problem or, you know, is difficult to change? I mean, what, what have you noticed as you've gotten into other, you know, working with different types of leaders in different industries? Yeah, I think that, and that's a great question, you know, it's clarity is always a problem. And there have been times where I've talked to two founders who are, you know, they're in kind of growth phase and I ask them the question independently and I don't get the same answer of what they want. No. That's kind of a problem. You know, but if the two of you aren't really clear, then how can anybody else be clear And your choices? You're working against each other. Mm-hmm. So clarity, that really clear vision of what you want to be true way beyond I want a bottom line of X. That, that's a struggle. And I think we're seeing it more right now because it, when people get in kind of panic or reactive mode, they go to something they can wrap their hands around, which is kind of bottom line dollar. Right? Yeah. Your number of people are this or that. And I get it, but you're not going to get where you need to go by focusing just on that. And it feels really unsafe to let go what feels so concrete. But the, the clarity is a huge one that I think is part of that. The control is another one. Because especially for founders, found, and I'm, I'm very fortunate, I've had the gift of working for someone else mm-hmm. and running, you know, growing and running my own company. And a lot of people don't do both well. Yeah. You know, they're really good working for someone else or for themselves. <laughs> and so it, it's been, a, you know, it's been a, a great experience for me. But the control issue, especially for founders... Or somebody in somebody else's company who's got, they've got challenge nailed. They've got incredibly high standards. They have a really tough time prying their hands off the bar. Yeah. And I will, you, I will, I don't think there's any client I've not said to just understand. I will pry your hands off the bar and you will slam your hands around it again. <laughs> I will pry your fingers off the bar and you'll do it again. Right. Because it doesn't, you're just like, but nobody's going to do it like I can. You know, yeah. just not. Especially yeah. if you're a founder, because you started this thing because you had something you wanted to bring to life. But if you, and I tell, I would tell my clients, I said, you don't have to let go of this thing, but you do if you want to grow like you tell me you want to grow. Yeah, exactly. This is an either or choice. <laughs> yeah. You can stay exactly as you are and what you've done is amazing and that's cool. But you can't stay exactly as you are and grow because when you're not willing to share with people the authority and responsibility, you're really telling them, I don't trust you to do it. And most of us will do a really stellar job of living down to expectations. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, if you don't trust me, fine. See what I do. I can just show up and park myself somewhere and take the money. (laughs) I can do that. Let me prove you right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of those things that the other piece of that that comes with the control back to the communication piece is if you are not sharing information, people don't feel trusted either. And I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you, you take us all back to grade school when you, you know, you walk up to a group of people and they stop talking when you get there. <laughs> you know, nobody feels good about that. The people on the inside may feel good, but the people who aren't included, and that's what it feels like to people in your organization when they don't know anything. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I am not in any way advocating the level of information you share, right? Some organizations, let's say, you know, they're employee owned, everybody knows everything. Yeah. In other organizations, there are, you know, there's things that they are protected. Let's say you're working in a top secret organization. I mean, literally where people have top secret clearances, you only get to know certain things. So I'm not saying there's a one size fits all, but for whatever model you have, be really cognizant of what the impact is on your people of sharing or not sharing information. I mean, for us in the hospital setting, 
everybody knew our financials. We went over them. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, we would say, hey, this is one of the things that we're struggling with right now is supplies are really easy to spend money on. What ideas do y'all have for us to still take amazing care of our patients and you, right? That's non-negotiable. But keeping those two things steady, is there anything y'all think we can do with what you touch and what you know that would help us reduce the supply cost? And they came up with amazing ideas. I'm sure. But they had to have the information and the trust to come up with ideas, you know, to be willing to do that. So it's that sort of... You have high expectations, but you free people up to actually live up to them. Yeah. What do your engagements typically look like? I mean, are, are you coming in, in in kind of short bursts, working with folks? Is this a sustained effort? I mean, how, how do you actually apply this model with leaders, with leadership teams, with organizations? So great question. So what I always tell people is we're working on the organization through the leaders. So to your point earlier, it's a different animal if you're serving as a guide. And sometimes I laugh and say, I'm, we're a Sherpas, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we've been there. And it is a very different dynamic. There are a lot of amazing people out there who are helping leaders. At the same time, they've never been in the seat. And it's different, you know, exactly to your point when you have, because your experience is different and that flows, that flows through. So the, the way that I work with people, like I'll give you, it's different depending. But typically, it's a year kind of at a minimum, because nothing changes overnight. And because it's so layered and multifaceted, and it's not like we get a checklist and say, I'm going to give you a clarity checklist. And once you check off items one to 10, you are now good to go work on your calendar. I mean, it's not, it doesn't work that way. We're humans. And so like for, I had two founders that I worked with who had some really aggressive goals for their company. And so we had calls or in-person things, depending on what works, twice a month. And they had unlimited access to me. They had a question. So we would do everything with them from sharing this kind of this framework, but also going through real time what they're going on and how what they're dealing with fits in this. So it's a real time kind of problem solving. And I am not shy about saying, literally on the first time I talk with them, you've got like three things that should have been dealt with five years ago. These are priority number one. And if you have somebody that can help you deal with it, you go, you know, you just, I'm concerned that you get it done because this is putting you in jeopardy. Yeah. If you don't have somebody, then I've got people on my team that can help. And so we would do that as well, right? We would come in if they had projects that they knew needed to be done, but they didn't have anybody they trusted and they didn't have the expertise or the bandwidth in house to do it. We would help them with the projects. Could be everything from looking at emails before you send them out. You know, it could be saying, no, this is how you're showing up with your people. You are banned from having a device on your body before you go into a meeting. <laughs> oh, I've done that more than once. <laughs> right? Like, because I know what you're going to do. And I know you don't think the message you're sending is you'd rather be somewhere else. But that's yeah. the message. So leave it outside. Outside, yes. Outside. Mm. Where you cannot touch it. And no, mm. you can't go get it. Right? To helping people figure out what their org <laughs> chart is going to need to be as they grow. So for them, we had a massive change. I mean, they were about 25, 30 million in top line revenue. And then in a year, they were almost 70. And that is certainly not just because of me, because they were doing amazing things already and had gotten themselves already where most leaders never got their company. Mm -hmm. But we certainly identified the choke points and the things they needed to do in order to kind of make progress. Right now, I am just beginning an engagement with a sales team of a large international pharma company. And we're going to be doing a mix of going through the content, but then doing what I call hot seat every month, where we're looking at the content and again, solving a problem they're actually dealing with real time using this model and using this framework, along with a lot of other things that are really experience based. None of us likes to be talked at. (laughs) 
Yeah. You, know, you know, it just, we don't. So I really work around kind of designing experiences, working with a leader. So like this leader will have unlimited access to me to help with things, but it really is so much around shifting how you think, because if we don't shift how you think, how you act will never change. Yeah. And so it's that mix of you bring you wherever you are. And I don't know about you, Bruce, but I've had times where I wanted to leave me somewhere until I felt better. <laughs> like, I'm getting on my nerves. Just go away and don't come back until you're all sorted out. And I'm, I'm very fortunate because I'm like really even. So those things don't happen often. But when they do, I'm like, Gah, right. Yeah. And it's the same thing here. It's like if we don't deal with who you are and how you're thinking, anything else we do is just a waste of your time. Yeah, exactly. Because this is, and I tell people constantly, you are a finite resource, period. And so the time you choose to spend on something is the time you're choosing not to spend on something else. So make really good choices. Yeah. I'm curious, what have you had to sort of shift or change in your own kind of style approach, you know, going from leading an organization and leading a team to, you know, consulting, advising, coaching leaders on their teams? What Have there been any challenges or what have you had to kind of change in your own kind of approach to be sort of the advisor rather than the leader themselves? Great question. You know, it's funny because I had this impression in my head before, you know, I launched Recalibrate that what I would be doing was serving kind of strictly as kind of a sideline more advisor. And I'm not taking anything away from advisors, okay? Hmm. And then I realized on kind of day one with this, this one client I was talking about that, no, what they needed was my expertise and direction. Yeah. Because they were already doing so many things amazing, they were they had already tapped themselves out. If they knew to do it, they would have done it. Yeah. And that was a huge shift for me because like I said, my first job out of college was was working with victims of violent crime and one of the things we did is counseling. Well in the true counseling model, you don't ever tell somebody what to do. And I would candidly say, I'm not going to tell you what to do because I don't have to live with your choices. Yeah. You do. Yeah. But in this what I learned with this is the reason people want to work with me is because of my experience. And if I hide that behind a wall and don't give them my assessment, I'm not serving them. And that was a massive shift for me that I did not expect. Mm -hmm. And so to your point and to your question, it actually made it a lot easier for me to have to live with your choices. And because I am a human life form, I will not always be right. So this is what I see. This is my recommendation. These are the things that I believe you need to deal with. Like yesterday would have been ideal. (laughs) Let's get after these things. So people were looking to me to give them that direction as well as the how to get things done. Because we all know if we have something that we've decided to get done, we're going to fall back on our quote unquote old and comfortable way of doing it because that's what we know. Yeah. And the greater your level of urgency, the more likely you are to flip back into your pattern because that, that piece at least is easy. And so it was It was definitely a shift for me thinking that I would be more, and I don't want to say passive in a, oh, yeah, whatever sense, but I didn't expect to say, okay, these three things like now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Directive, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't expect yeah. that. Yeah. But everybody I've worked with has been very, very clear that that's what they want and need from me, and that's the value of having done it before in a setting where the stakes are incredibly high, as they should be when mm-hmm. people are trusting you to care for them or their family. Yeah. And so that was a shift. Cheryl, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about what the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Uh, probably the easiest thing. I mean, you can connect with me directly, um, you know, via email. It's Cheryl at recalibrate.today. 
Obviously, you can check out the website, recalibrate.today. Um, and then you can find me on LinkedIn under Cheryl and Mobley. And uh, happy to share some additional resources and engage in any conversation. It's always fun to meet new people and make new connections. So please reach out. Great. I'll make sure that all that information is in the show notes so people can get that. Cheryl, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. It's fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.